0: Welcome to the Etobicoke Historical Society's monthly oral history podcast. This podcast is one of a series of interviews of senior Etobicoke residents in the 1980s. The interview tapes were recently discovered in the local history room at Richview Public Library. We would like to thank the Toronto Public Library for giving them back to us so they could be made into these podcasts. These oral histories are a valuable and unique view into the history of Etobicoke in the early part of the 20th century, as seen through the personal experiences of local residents. We will be presenting a different interview each month. We hope you enjoy them.
1: Uh, uh, On the county uh, government was, uh, during the Depression, it was how to cut costs. Where was, what was the biggest issue at that point, biggest problem?
2: One of our biggest expenditures were, under the Educational Act, we, the county government, were required to pay 50% of the cost of all high school boards of education in the county. And that assumed large proportions in dollars inasmuch as it was one of our largest uh, individual expenditures. And due to the fact that uh, most of the suburban municipalities who provided the funds for us were in default and under supervision, and we owed the bank a lot of money, and the bank was putting the pressure on us We had to devise ways and means of cutting our costs. So one of the obvious costs was the cost of secondary education. So after having a meeting of the educational committee, we decided to call a meeting of all the high school trustees of the county of York. Representing 52 different municipalities, to get them to try to agree.
1: Sorry, that's 26 municipalities, isn't it?
2: Yes. What does I say? 52. Oh, 52. 50
1: 52 representatives and
2: yeah, 26. That's right. 26 municipalities, 52 representatives. That they asked me to chair the meeting, and we call them to meet. 57 Adelaide Street, which was the county council chambers.
1: That's the old, new town hall they call it, I believe, now, isn't it?
2: They they have uh, dramatic shows in there now. It's the hall where the what were the men that were with William Lyon Mackenzie? It's in that building where they were hanged of time was Sir William McKenzie, uh, uh, not Sir William McKenzie, McKenzie King's grandfather,
0: mm-hmm. William
2: Lyon McKenzie. At any rate, we called the meeting, and I would think probably 300, 400 trustees come in to the meeting. Uh, We took them out to dinner beforehand, and then the meeting got down to discussions about 7.30. That was in the year 1933. I was asked to chair and lead the discussion. Along with me was Mr. LAS Dack, who at that time was manager of the market branch of the Canadian Bank of Commerce who we did business with. By the way, that's the second to largest branch in Canada, Canadian Bank of Commerce, who are our bankers. <coughs> <coughs> Naturally, I was opposed in principle to the cutting of teachers' salaries if it could be avoided. But at that time, about 90% of all the high school costs were the teacher salaries. And that hit at a very difficult point. Because in principle, I'm opposed, even under most urgent, unless it's under urgent circumstances, to have to reduce salaries. That's a last resort. But we met Discussion went on. Trustees, everybody got into the discussion. Part-time, it got very, very hot. Uh, Eventually, before the meeting had been called, I interviewed Dr. Fred Krukshanks, who was the chairman of the Board of Education in the town of West, whom I knew real well and asked him if by the end of the meeting he felt there was no other alternative if he would move a resolution asking the trustees as a body to go along with the cutting of educational costs 25%. After a lot of discussion, he reluctantly as second. I also went to Dr. Semple, who was the chairman of the Board of Education of York County, to ask him to second any motion that was coming. As an aside, Dr. Crookshanks and Dr. Semple didn't admire each other too much and were a little uh, bit at loggerheads, as well as the fact that the town of Weston and the township of York never uh, uh, got along too well. So I didn't tell Dr. Semple who was going to move the motion, nor did I tell Dr. Crookshanks who would second it. When the appropriate time came along, Dr. Crookshanks, asked if he could introduce the motion. I asked him to read it, and uh, I received it, asked if there was a seconder. Dr. Semple uh, got up and seconded Immediately, Dr. Cookshank, uh became a little bit incensed. Actually, I knew what was behind it, because they weren't too friendly. And Dr. Cruikshank seemed to hint that he wanted to withdraw his vote, So I could see there was trouble ahead. The chairman and I asked to recess the meeting. We'd been sitting in our chairs for about three to four hours. We recessed for 15 minutes. And I took that opportunity of getting the Western Board of Education all together and appealing to them not over Dr. Cruikshank's head, but with him present to ask them to affirm the action that Cruikshank had taken, and then was talking of withdrawing. And eventually they did. Then the meeting reassembled. Cruikshank presented his resolution, Seppel seconded, the motion was carried. And uh, it was a very, very difficult day. I think in my whole life, that is the most difficult one act with an elected body that I never had to perform. And as a postscript to that, when it got back to the municipalities and the board started to put this in effect, and a number of the high school teachers with their own bank accounts uh, boycotted the Canadian Bank of Commerce because they had been present and been a party to this and pressing for it. And uh, a few of my good friends let me know and... not no unmistakable fashion that they didn't like the course that I had taken or the part I played in. But it's peculiar the things that life hands to you. Unpleasant things. And even though you're opposed to it in principle, things that you know uh, uh, in a practical way have to be done.
1: Now, uh, at the same time, uh, were the county uh, employees getting pay cuts, or was it just the uh, teachers that...
2: I've got to think of that. I know, as a treasurer at that time, I was only getting half of what I got at my peak was well soberly. To show you how low the salaries were then, the assistant crown attorney, a lawyer and a very competent lawyer, who has since been made a judge, was working for a hundred and fifty bucks a month. Hundred and fifty dollars.
1: Now, um, after you finished working with the county uh, government, Metro was formed, and you became the very first employee of Metro. Um, How did you get chosen?
2: I had known Mr. Gardner over a period of years, and he had known me. I had served on a couple of boards of directors on which he was on, And I think he knew that uh, I had drive, I had enthusiasm, that I would be a loyal compatriot, and um, not only loyal, but that I was on his wavelength. And I made no overture to him at all. He came to me. I was very glad, of course, he did. But uh, uh, he came to me. But we're on the same wavelength.
1: Now, what was the... When you set up, you're, as I said, you are the only employee. Um, did you tell me something about the first days of Metro, the first few days in trying to get the, the government going and...
2: It was very, very difficult. Very difficult. You've got to get the background. They they petitioning and before the municipality and metropolitan trial of Metropolitan Toronto legislation was established, there was a there was court cases and applications and before the Ontario Municipal Board and the County the City of Toronto eventually made an application to have all the suburban area of Toronto forcefully amalgamated to the City of Toronto. Now the county those municipalities in the suburbs were very much opposed to that every one of those municipalities appointed special lawyers to represent them before the ontario municipal board to protest the appointment of uh, the uh, proving of the application to amalgam amalgamation to the county was a dirty word a really dirty word mr gardner was in favor of amalgamation. And he took quite a pasting, personally, and in the press, from members of York County Council. Uh, And there was, was, when, after all this turmoil was over, uh, and the application went, not the application went through, but Bill, Fifty-three was established, which was a compromise. The city people didn't like the suburbs. The suburbs didn't like the city. They would hardly talk to each other. Suspicion was rampant. I can recall that when we originally got together, Mr. Gardner and I sat down to decide how we'd seat them. And we decided that there would be two from the county, uh, two from the suburbs, two from the city. uh, Equal representation on every committee and we wouldn't permit all the county boys to sit together. We didn't say that of course, but we established a seating plan which we asked them to approve and there'd be a city man, a suburb, a city, a suburb, so no one could gang up on the other. You can have five or six sitting close together, they can get their heads together, you know, some motion comes up. We also tried in the selection of heads of departments to give about equal representation from the suburbs and from the city. But uh, it was very difficult for many reasons. Not only was this the first metropolitan-type government as far as was known, on not only the North American continent, but in the world. but there were a lot of the heads of departments in some of the local areas who thought this, they'd like to become clerk or treasurer or solicitor or works commissioner. They were looked, those positions were looked upon as uh, sort of kind of important from a prestige angle. So. And many of them couldn't get, couldn't get these. And after they did, we, I know in my particular case, I know of at least two other men, clerks, who wanted the Metropolitan Clerk job. Didn't get them. And they threw, quietly, barriers and obstacles in our way to make it difficult for us, very difficult.
1: Now, you you walked in and there was nothing there. Um, You had, you know, sort of, I guess, you... you, How did you base, you and Mr. Gardner, base the workings of Metro Toronto? Because you had a complete void and you had the chance to experiment.
2: Well, Mr. Gardner was the idea man and the power. I was, in my small way, uh, sort of the implementer. I was the guy to find how can we uh, uh, incorporate that in our procedure. Another thing that I should mention, the suburbs had an entirely different way of procedure, handling things. The way they presented reports, how the reports were received and that kind of thing, don't want the city did. If you did one thing the county way, the city members of parliament, because they were very jealous of each other in the origin, they would jump on you or jump on me if it was a procedural thing. And say, that's not the way to do it. So you just had to sort of grit and bear it and force your way through. Just I used to be so physically tired at a night that I had a boy in my office, lived in Weston, and he used to drive my car home. I was so exhausted.
1: Well, the meetings would go on quite long then.
2: Oh, the council meetings, many of our council meetings went on until 2 and 3 in the morning in those days. I don't think they've had a council meeting to midnight for years now.
1: Now, uh, Fred Gardner, he, uh, where did he get started in politics?
2: Fred Gardner has always been active in the conservative party. And the first actual uh, political uh, uh, elected office he held was Deputy Reeve of Forest Hill.
1: And when, when would that be?
2: I'd have to check it out, but if I guess, I'd have to say, About 1936.
1: Now, uh, that was the start of his career in politics. How did, uh, how did he, uh, what were some of the first things he did? How did he, uh, when did you first meet him politically?
2: Well, when he was elected, he phoned me and he said, I've just been elected De- Deputy Reeve of Forest Hill. I understand I have to come to County Council. I said, that's right. He said, how long does the Council meet and when? I said, it isn't written in, in Holy Writ, but it's usual three weeks in January, starting with the third Tuesday in January usually goes on for three weeks adjourns, then comes back in june for two weeks then meets again in november for three weeks and uh, that was the first time i met him when he was connected with municipal politics
1: was was he a real driver then
2: he was real aggressive.
1: Now, uh, as any uh, uh, government, there's a number of different committees uh, that, that members sit on. Uh, which, which ones did uh, Fred Gardner aim for?
2: Well, the county of York at that time had a number of committees. In my estimation, the most important committee was Finance, then Education Committee, and probably thirdly, Legislative. But Legislative seemed to gain the prestige of seniority for some reason. Not what they accomplished, but on a seniority basis, the older members of Council uh, seemed to want to get on that committee. So Mr. Gardner asked me which was the most prestigious committee. I said I thought finance, but he says legislation is more in my line. I want to get on the legislative committee. Well, I said, as the new boy in town, you'll have a hard job getting on that. Members of council elect their people on that, and you aren't well known or known to them, and you're a new boy. He said, I want to get out So I said, okay, I'll introduce you to a man called J.O. Little, who was of Newmarket. And probably Mr. Little carried as much prestige as any member of council.
1: And he was on the legislative committee.
2: And yes, and we'd get together and you can talk to him and see what you want to do. So they got together and he decided he still wanted the legislative committee. And between <coughs> them, Joe Little helping him and Gardner soliciting a few people, he got on the committee. But. The members, the older members who resented that, resented that very much that a new boy in town gets on this committee right away. They decided they were going to get together and put him in his place properly.
1: Now how old was uh, Mr. Gardner at this point?
2: Well, We'd say that was 1936. This is 82. How many years ago is that? That is 46 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mr. Gardner today is 87. He was 41 years of age at that time. And from then on, for about two years, every motion that he brought up, they decided they were going to. Give it the works. They're going to teach him a lesson. Put him back in his place and show him that you had to get seniority around this county council before you decide what you want to do. So Mr. Gardner decided, he has told me since that he learned to address a jury by being a member of a county council. He said, if I can't address my colleagues and get them on my side, how in the devil am I going to get a jury on my side who don't know me? So he decided to make friends of them. They figured he was the big shot from Forest Hill, a big city lawyer. And they, country boys were going to teach him a lesson. So he decided then, of a Sunday, he and his family, he and his wife would take a drive out the country. They'd go to the farmhouse of the Reeve of St. Long, sit down, meet his family, probably go out to the barn, see his livestock, and take a real interest in them, and at the same time get to know the road system. because. The farmers like good roads, and they used to like the county to pay for them. So he could make friends by helping them get roads on the county system. That means the county uh, helping to pay for them. So on a period of two or three or four years, he got to know every municipality in that county almost better than the Reeve did. Knew their family by their first date. Knew what kind of cattle they kept or horses they kept or sheep they kept. And knew the road system. And those uh, who came to scoff remained to pray. they got to almost worship the man. They respect him. And he, out of the 52 men, was by all odds the most logical and the most forceful and the most aggressive. And he felt he gained a new quality, I think. He, he, he thought the way to get things is to go in and push and get it. Well, politically that always, that isn't always the easiest way. You've got to walk before you run. And uh, he was held at the conclusion of his time in council. He became a warden of the county eventually. And at the time he left county council, he is highly, was highly respected and is still perhaps the most highly respected man that was a member of that council during my 20 years. There were some very highly respected men, but I think he talked that.
1: Now you uh, sort of got along with Fred Gardner by the sounds of it, almost from the day he stepped onto the county council
2: I I think he and I are on the same wavelength
1: so wouldn't that uh, you, you've talked about you know sort of being politically aware when you're a, an employee you not to play favorites with That's anyone right. uh, being you know getting along with Fred Gardner didn't that get you into trouble at times with the uh, other members of the council? Not
2: many, because they respected him as much as I did. There is a, there is a reeve of the township of Vaughan called John Hostrasen. He is living in Brampton. He is 92 years of age, and he told me within three weeks ago that Gardner was the most brilliant and most respected man he has ever met in municipal politics.
1: Now, when you got when Metro Government was started, you were again picked. You were picked by Gardner to be the clerk, which right. at that time, I believe, was the top civil uh, position, bureaucratic position in the government. Well,
2: amongst them, amongst
1: them. Normally, I, I understand but the clerks. Chief clerk is usually sort of like the top. Well,
2: it varies sometimes with the individual. In England, as you know, the clerk is the city manager. That wasn't true in my case. That isn't true in Canada. I, the treasurer, Arthur LaSalle, G.A. Lascelles, was the highest paid municipal employee. He was very highly respected. He is dead now. By the way, out of the original heads of departments, and there would, original now, there would be between 10 and 15. How many do you think are still alive? Two.
1: Two.
2: And I'm one. George Noble, personnel director is the other one.
1: Go back to uh, Fred Gardner. I've always been uh, fascinated by his uh, nickname, Big Daddy. Do you remember how he got that?
2: Yeah. It's a long story and I don't know whether you want to listen to it.
1: Well, if you could sort of sh- brief in it a bit.
2: Well, Fred Gardner had political access to Queen's Park. There were a number of people, he could get QC's and if you wanted entree to Queen's Park, Fred Gardner could get it for you, if if it was uh, justified. And a number of lawyers who were not QC's and were not conservative, wanted a QC, and Mr. Gardner interceded with Mr. Frost for certain uh, non-conservative lawyers to get them QCs, and Phil Givens knew that. Phil Givens wanted a QC. He asked Mr. Gardner to intercede for him. Mr. Gardner interceded for him. Couldn't get why? Grossman. Alan Grossman, the father of the present minister of health, then was very active politically. He still is active. But he said to Mr. Frost, what is the use of us giving Phil Gibbons a liberal? We build him up and then have to go out and beat him at election time. He'll come back to beat our brains up." But Mr. Gardner would go back to Phil and tell him he tried. And Phil turned sour. Phil's a good guy too, a wonderful guy. Phil turned sour, turned a little bitter of Mr. Garner. I'll condense this. At that time, there was a play called, what is it, something on a hot tin room, cat on a hot tin room. They, they, Kind of nasty character in that. The leading character is a character called Big Daddy. And Phil one time threw it at him. Mr. Gardner didn't like it. Oh, he. But Mr. Gardner said to me, I don't like that. And you could see he was hurt. But he. was in the parade. I don't know whether it was the Queen or Princess Margaret was out here, but in the car behind him, in the procession, we'll say the mayor and the Queen were in the leading car. Mr. Gardner was in the car that succeeded. And as they went in the parade, the little kids were waving, Hello, Big Daddy. Hello, Big Daddy. And he said to me after that, Well, it isn't quite so bad. But that hurt. I could tell you more, but i probably talked too much now. Yeah. Uh, and Phil Gardner's a, uh, Phil Gibbons is
0: a wonderful guy, but he was frustrated. Thanks for listening to the Etobicoke Historical Society's Oral History Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and like. If you wish to learn more about the work of our society, be sure to visit www.etobicokehistorical.com. See you next month!